Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by Adam from Adam Young Golf. This episode of The Sweet Spot is brought to you by our friends at the Indoor Golf Shop. They're the place to go online for setting up a simulator in your home or your business. They've got all the major brands of launch monitors like Foresight, SkyTrack, Unicore, and FlightScope, and they make enclosures, screens, hitting mats, pretty much anything you're going to need for your indoor studio. If you need help, you can give them a call directly, talk to their experts. You can ask for Gerald or Hunter. I know they've helped plenty of other Sweet Spot listeners, and they can help you decide what's going to fit in your garage, media room, and basement based on your budget and technology requirements. So thanks for their support, and you can check them out at shopindoorgolf.com. So today we have four-time guest, the co-owner of Pete's Golf, and the 2021 Wheatley Hills Club <laughs> champion. <laughs> we, and legend is on mind. <laughs> yeah, we've got the legend, Woody Lashin, joining us. Woody, thanks for doing your fourth episode. You're the most popular guest so far on the on the sweet spot. I'm not sure if I'm the most popular guest, but I love doing this stuff. And being a four-timer, it's, you know, I get to the five-timers room. You got a room for that, right? <laughs> like the Saturday Night Live guests, the five-timers room. Yeah, Adam and I are going to have to start thinking about stuff like this. So if anyone has not listened to any of Woody's episodes, we've done driver fitting, iron fitting, and wedge fitting so far. And just so you know, Woody is the co-owner of Pete's Golf. They're located just outside of New York City. So if you're in the area, they are amongst the best fitters in, in the world, in the country, wherever you are. And we you know what he was telling me before the show, a lot of Sweet Spot listeners have driven to see Woody. So we're so happy that people are learning from these equipment education series we're doing and going to Pete's Golf, whether it's Woody or anyone else there, Kirk, Sonny, Pete, Rob, the whole gang there. So we love it. Let's keep going. So what are we doing today, Woody? Well, I just wanted to say, by the way, that I love being as a guest, but I enjoy listening to you guys. It's, you know, as someone who is a diehard in the golf business guy, you got your, you're like, I was listening to Shaw show the other day and I've been lucky enough to have spent a lot of time with him over the years. He's a genius, and you can't, anytime you get a chance to listen to that guy, I want to listen to him. So I love what you guys are doing. Well, thank you. Same here. I, I loved the Sasho episode myself. It's kind of, you, you want to ask him a million questions, but at the same time, just take take a back <laughs> seat and listen to him chat. But yeah, I could. Yeah. I'll have to. If you haven't listened to Sasha's episode, we just we released it as we're recording this. The second episode came out this week, so it was a two-parter. And of course, a reminder that all Sweet Spot episodes are evergreen. So I think we're up to around 50 plus episodes at this point. But if you go back to episode 1, 10, or 20, there's no time relevance. So everything we're doing here is meant to last. So Woody, we're, we're going to do putters today, correct? Yes, sir. We're going to do putters. Good. I'm glad I got that right. The club, I always say, is the most important one to get fit. Yeah, you, you have mentioned that in several other episodes. So why don't you answer that first? Why do you think it is the most important club to fit? I think it is the one where you can help the average golfer the most. Just for an example, from our putter sales category, right? We know that probably 60% of the time that we do a putter fitting, someone does not buy a new putter. Why is that? It's because they're probably their current putter is pretty good. Maybe it's not set up properly. We may change the grip. We might change the balance. We might change the lie. We might change the length. We're maybe changing something, but they didn't have something that was 
not correct. However, it wasn't working properly for them. So they couldn't use it properly. And if you come for a driver fitting or an iron fitting or a wedge fitting, we are not going to talk to you about anything to do with a lesson, right? There's too much going on there. And not that we're going to ever give you a lesson in a putter fitting, but if you're putting and you see your path is all of a sudden six degrees left, well, I didn't realize that. Why is that? Well, you know, let's just try adjusting your posture for a second and you change the length of the putter and then you have someone go back and all of a sudden their stroke now becomes, you know, two degrees left. They can make those changes. It's very easy to see it in putting, but you can't do that with any other fitting. Yeah, I would, speaking anecdotally, when I went in, I mean, gosh, it must have been five or six years ago at this point when I worked with Sonny and I went on the Sam Putt Lab and we were just kind of looking at my stroke and it was a disaster. <laughs> I mean, it really was. I was, I mean, we could talk about, you know, putting arc and the, the myth of straight back and straight through, but I was essentially trying to manipulate the putter to truly go back on a straight back path. And I was just cutting across on it, closing it down. And the visuals from the Sam putt made that so clear to me. So, you know, being in multiple fittings with you and Sonny, you with the rest of the clubs in my bag, we've discussed obviously things about my swing, but, you know, did I necessarily change those things? No, it just made me more aware. But with certainly the putter fitting, there were tangible changes I made because I realized it was just such a bad matchup on what I was doing. And Sonny was super helpful in explaining, you know, what he's seeing from better putters with the data. So I can tell you anecdotally that that certainly happened with me. Yeah, there is a ton that you can do to help. And even, you know, Forget about the, the better player like yourself, where you might go, oh, I really have to go work on this. The 20 handicapper can comprehend it, can understand that my path is left, my path is right, my face is open, and they can change things. And a lot of times it's the size of the putter, right? So you can say, we've changed the size of the putter and all of a sudden they, oh, I can do this. And so you can really help someone. You know, what percentage of golf is putting? You can argue about it all different ways, but, you know, I can tell you if you putt a little better, it makes everything else a little bit easier. When you say change the size, are you talking about the size of the head or the length of the shaft or both? Length of the shaft, lie of the club. At the end of the day, lie is really not really relevant in putter except for comfort of setup. But sometimes, and what do I say that? Like, you remember, if you go back in the day, I saw Ioki had the toe way up in the air, right? And Adam can speak to this much better than I can. But, you know, the less loft you have, the less that lie affects, right? So if I have zero loft, I can move my lie all the way. It won't affect my aim or anything at all. If I've got, you know, uh, 50 degrees of loft and a wedge and I start moving my lie, all of a sudden the ball starts going left and right and affecting strike point dramatically. So while I, I like the putter to be sitting flush on the ground, it's not, it's not like it is on an iron or, or a wedge. Well, one thing I want before we get into, you know, the different, I think a lot of people based on the questions we got on Twitter and just people reaching out to me about putters in general, you know, people want to understand like, what are the differences? Like if I buy this, you know, blade putter versus the mallet, the lie angle, there's MOI and all these things. But Adam, why don't we talk just briefly about how the impact laws change with putter? Because things do change, you know, it's mostly, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think 90% of where the ball is going, where it starts, is, is just determined where the face is pointing. And the path of the putter 
I think it affects the face angle, but it's not really influencing the curvature of the putt. So we're not worrying about the same things we are in the full swing. Do you want to maybe talk about that a little bit, just the differences between, you know, impact dynamics with the putter versus what we're worried about with the rest of the clubs when the ball's flying through the air? Yeah. So the less loft that a club has, the more the face will tend to dictate the start direction. So it's, as you said, it's about 90%. I think Dave Peltz had it about 87%. I think Sasho talked over 90%. So yeah, it's even if you cut across it 10 degrees, if that face is starting square, the ball will only go one degree left. So you can go 10 degrees left with your path and the ball will still start off square uh, or close to you know, or one degree open face would override the 10 left path. That's not to say that's the best way of doing it. However, <laughs> you know, that, that's just talking the physics of it. Yeah, but you can get away. I think putting is like quite personal. Like you can get away with a lot more like maybe call it personality in your putting stroke because again, you're just rolling the ball on the ground. So you don't have to worry about a huge slice or hook like yeah. you would with the driver. Yeah. I mean, you had Billy Mayfair who used to really cut across it as well. And yeah, you know, absolutely. So these are outliers, obviously, but it shows sure. you can putt well with a, quite an extreme looking technique. But yeah, from what I understand, you know, that ball kind of jumps off the face a little bit. So it's in the air for a tiny bit. Then it goes through a skidding phase across the green and then it rolls out. And so as far as I'm aware, it doesn't matter what kind of technique you apply to it. By the time it hits that rolling phase, everybody's ball is doing the same thing. So, you know, lots of people are talking about, well, I want that ball rolling end over end. It will be. It will be. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe Woody's got some different info on that. What are your thoughts, Woody? Well, if it's over skidding, you're going to have a real hard time with distance control because the, okay. the surface is going to dictate so if you've got something and you're launching it up in the air and it's hopping it's back spinning you're gonna have a real hard time with distance control but it doesn't mean you can't do that we were I was talking about one of the guys the other day and you know we were talking about luke donald and he backspins every putt it's a pretty good putter right so and if you fix that would you make him a better putter you'd probably make him a worse putter because his speed control would be horrendous because he's used to doing that his whole life yeah, yeah. Well, this, that's interesting is, you know, if you as a golfer are doing the same thing over and over, it'd be interesting. Maybe we need Sasha back on to let us know. Are there certain techniques where if you have a little variance in what you do, does it affect the outcome more? So, you know, if someone's backspinning it versus top spinning it, is the outcome dispersion the same for any given speed inputs from the golfer ch changes do you know that woody if the ball is over hopping right so it's over hopping you're gonna have a hard time because with your speed control in general but it doesn't mean you can't have it hop a little bit and every putt is going to hop it's going to skid right you know you're not hitting putts that aren't going to skid for some period of time because the way you have to apply force to the ball which is sitting actually down in a depression right that goes down a little bit into the grass so you do have to lift it up a little bit in the air you know it's very interesting so one of the things i want to talk about is a little bit like the history of what we did putter fitting wise and yeah, i think it's real important for you listeners to understand that i no longer do putter fittings i don't do them anymore and if i give you a little bit of history i'll tell you why i don't do them anymore when we first started putter fitting we were worried about alignment we wanted to make sure that the player was aligned at the center of the hole. So you'd get someone in, you set them up with an eight or a 10 foot putt and you'd have them line up the putter and you get a laser and you see where are they aiming? 
And oh, look, they're aiming, you know, three inches left of the hole. They're aiming three inches right of the hole. We got to get them aiming in the center of the hole. So you would then go and you'd change the setup of the putter to give more offset. You do something and oh, look, now we got them aiming straight. This is great. Oh, and the person would be, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world. That person would then come back like two or three months later and you'd put them on the same laser. And most of them, not all of them, because we would have changed other things, but a lot of them, if we hadn't, especially if we hadn't changed the length or the their setup, they'd be back to aiming left or right. And that's because their path is left or right, and they have to push or pull the putt online, and that's what they're used to doing. So that whole aim thing, to me, the big thing now, fast forward, what's important in putting, it's consistency of aim. It's not where are you aiming, it's consistency of aim. I think they said Tiger aims, you know, a little right of the hole. You can Three aim degrees, left. I think. Yeah, you can aim left or right. As long as you do it consistently, you could be a great putter. But that's something that we had to learn, right? There was no one to teach us. There was no, you know, there was no school to go to. Next thing we bought was a swing dynamics putt monitor. So it's an older version of like a Quintech. Had lights and all these cameras and we had lines on the ball and we were able to measure how the ball rolls and we were so obsessed with getting the ball to roll on a consistent basis and this is what we were talking about before like you know someone's rolling and be like oh look the ball's getting all over the place but the problem was that you try and fix that through law but there were other things going on that you you couldn't fix so then we got a sam putt lab and we saw oh look now we can really see the whole stroke. And Sam Putt Lab is my favorite tool for putter fitting. There's a lot of great tools out there. That's what we use. We've had a Quintech. We are experimenting a little bit with using the Foresight for our putter fitting. It's kind of something that's been in our testing phase for a while. And I don't really want to, I want to get into what we found because, you know, we do a lot of crazy testing. And until I've got all the data, I don't want to dive into how much we like it or dislike it. I think we like it, but, you know, the Sam Putt Lab is giving you what the putter is doing, right? So you can see consistency of aim. You can see what dynamic lofted impact is. And if we know dynamic lofted impact, we can pretty much predict how that ball is going to roll. So we know that if we've got someone in the right dynamic lofted impact, depending on the speed of the greens, you know, the faster the green, the lower that needs to be, the the slower the green, I think the higher that needs to be. Let's say it needs to be like a degree and a half of dynamic lofted impact on a quick green. And it's, you know, maybe two and a half on a really slow green because you need to get the ball up out of its impression. So a slow green, it's going to sit down more. So you need to lift it up more to get it rolling better. Why wouldn't that work on a harder green? Would that produce more inconsistent results? Yes, I believe so. doesn't mean, by the way, you can't do it, right? So it doesn't mean that you can't have three degrees of dynamic loft at impact and putt well, Adam. I think that's, if you take anything from this putter fitting thing is that you can do a lot of unconventional things and be a great putter. And you can do a lot of great things and be a horrible putter. And I've seen that. Yeah. With, I mean, when I first started teaching on Sam Putt Lab and I'm not the best person to comment on it, but the reason why I don't do a hell of a lot of putting instruction is because I noticed when I was teaching some of the better putters that I've ever seen, 
they were doing some horrible things on Sandpat Lab, like you said, yeah. aiming offline, but consistently. I even had one guy who was quite inconsistent with his aim. <laughs> he aimed right <laughs> one moment and left a moment. And when I actually took it out onto the green one day and put him on brakes, it was even wider inconsistency. You know, he was kind of pulling it on left to righters, pushing it on right to lefters. So, you know, we had this setup compared to a relative to his conscious read you know he would say oh i think this is three foot left and then we'd set it up for that and yeah we just saw very inconsistent results whereas i've seen some even beginners have very consistent and even good aims sometimes and i know i'm talking certain ends of the bell curve here but i've seen it enough to make me question what really is important in putting yeah. and yeah it's a very interesting thing you're 100 percent correct and that's why, just like in any other fitting, you need to talk to the person, you need to see what they're doing, what are their tendencies, and maybe you'll tell them to change nothing. Maybe you'll tell them to change a bunch of things. It really depends upon what they do. If you come to me and you tell me I'm a really good putter and I see inconsistencies, I got to figure out, okay, what is he doing to compensate for these inconsistencies because he's a really good putter? Or is he lying to me? Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the issues of putting in general. And we've talked about this in other episodes where we say, you know, the more information you can give your fitter or even your teaching professional, the better. And for listeners of our show who I know are a little more data driven, if you can keep track, it's a bit tedious, but if you can keep track of your strokes gained putting, you know, seeing how many putts you're making inside of 10 feet from five feet, eight feet. And then how often, you know, what your proximity is to the hole on longer putts and how often you're three putting. That's how you find out if you're actually a good or bad putter based on your handicap level compared to other golfers. Yes, yes. So I, I know players who they think they're bad putters and I've watched them and I can tell them, I don't think you're a bad putter. I just think you assume you're going to make every putt and <laughs> you're just not going to. And then there are golfers obviously that are three putting a lot on the greens so I guess my main question to you, and, and we'll we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the fitting, is what does like a good result look like, even if you're adjusting their current putter or getting them a new one? Like, what's a great scenario from a putter fitting in terms of like tangible results on the golf course? So there's two things we concentrate in putter fitting, right? We like to go eight feet and in, and they want distance control, and I think that distance control is the premium of those two things. Sure. If someone could control the control with distance control on long putts. And what is very interesting is that people consider themselves good putters. And then you ask them about that. And they think that being good putters, because I make 15 footers. And to me, I don't believe that's the best putter, right? What does the best putter do? They control their speed fantastically so that they're not, they reduce their three putt percentage tremendously. And they make a really high percentage of their putts as they get close to the hole three, four, five feet. And success in a putter fitting is when people could come back to me and say, you know, Woody, I did this putter fitting and I didn't think it was going to help that much. And I went out and I worked on what we talked about and I played and man, I really enjoyed the round so much more because I didn't three putt. I made a few more, you know, five, eight, 10 foot, foot put putts that I thought I might normally make. That is the bottom line success, right? So about 10 years ago, we looked at the putter fittings and like, as much as I've been screaming from the treetops, treetops is the most important fitting to do. People were not doing them enough. And as busy as we were, I was doing like three or four a week, 
Pete was doing three or four a week. Kevin was doing three or four a week. And that's just not enough to be good at anything. So we decided, you know what? We're going to have Kevin do all the putter fittings. He'll do 12 or 15 a week and he'll get better at it. He'll have a better idea when he's looking at a stroke going, oh, we've got a putter that I think would work really good for that where my brain's got to, you know, go upstairs and look at the putters or what am I looking for? What can I get to help this? And so from that point forward, we decided that we had, would have only one person doing putter fittings. We opened our second location in New York City. We had have to have two people because if you have one person doing in the city location, he needs to be able to do both, right? You can't have someone come there that does a full bag fitting and not be able to do the putter. So Rob and Sonny are the two guys now that do our putter fittings and they do a lot of them. The good news is that we probably need to get someone else that is only going to do putter fittings so we can do more of them. And we're working on that. We got, we're training someone, but it's like anything else. If you don't do a lot of them, you know, you can't be good at anything. So that's kind of our history of the, you know, 35 years of putter fittings where we've, you know, we, we've used everything. Quintech, I've seen some amazing different technology. A cool clubs has an amazing camera system where he's got like eight cameras and they do a great job. I get to spend some time in the Scotty Cameron putting fitting studio and watch how they do things. And at the end of the day, it still is the most important fitting to do. So after learning a decent amount about putting and going from what I would consider a poor putter to a decent putter, I think of it as three different skill sets. Let's leave green reading out of it because we're not going to be talking about that today. But successful putting is increasing your chances of making those putts inside of 10 feet where, you know, you actually have a decent odds, you know, Eight feet is a 50% make rate for PGA Tour players, so it's certainly not a shoe-in, but there's room to improve for average golfers inside those distances. And primarily, I believe that's face control issues. Like, can you hit your line in addition to making the read? Like, speed control is important, but not as important in my opinion. So that's maybe being able to read the putt and start it on the line. And then when you get outside of that distance, it becomes a game of proximity. On those 20, 30, 40, 50 foot putts, can you leave yourself a reasonable distance to the hole so that you're two putting and avoiding three putts? So my question to you is, is separating those two, the inside 10 feet and then the longer ones where speed control is more paramount. What does that look like in terms of equipment, the adjustments you would make? Let's start with like the longer putts, like speed control maybe. Well, so let's say it could be a lot of reasons why you can have speed control problems. A lot of it is maybe you're not finding the center of the face on a regular basis. So let's take that person where they're okay. hitting the ball all over the face of the putter. In that case, if I give that person a higher MOI putter, it's going to retain a little bit more when they miss that center so that their speed control will probably get much better. How much of a difference can that make these days? I thought all putters were pretty forgiving these days, but what are you seeing with that? Well, I mean, you go from a answer style putter to a big mallet, the balance got a lot more MOI to it, right? And having something that with that CG's further back off the face will help a lot. It will also a lot of times help that person find the center more often. So you are looking at impact location oh, yeah. variability. Yeah. You're looking at the entire stroke and trying to figure out where does this person need help? 
For example, let's say you get someone who we're talking long putts, you know, they're consistently inconsistent with how they present the putter at impact. So one time they've got the dynamic loft really low. The next time they have dynamic loft really high. How can I get them to become more consistent with their dynamic loft so they can get the ball rolling the same way so they can control their speed better? Change the moment of inertia. If my putt's hopping all the time, I think it's hard to control your speed, but you can control it. If it hops one time and it doesn't hop another time, you're really going to have a real hard time controlling your speed. And that can be done with moment of inertia. It can be done with balance. We talk about balance. It can be done with overall weight. It can be done with more head weight. It can be done with more weight under the grip. There's a lot of different tools in the toolbox there that you can use depending upon what the player is doing. And just like in any error fitting, you could say, okay, I think this is going to work. Then you have to put it in someone's hands and see how will it work, right? Because I could say, well, I think this is going to be great for this person, but then they get it in their hands and they start doing something different. So there's a legitimate possibility that, because I've seen it on the putting greens, especially with higher handicap players, what, what you're talking about is the, the amount of variables they introduce at impact are so vast that they can't seem to produce a repeatable stroke and roll of the ball. And because of that, their proximity is all over the place. You know, some putts are going too far, too short. Because to me, that would be like the number one goal of a putter fitting because I think that's what really, where you're talking about saving strokes off of people's handicaps, it's eliminating those three putts. And it sounds like putting all the pieces together can help with that. Yes, absolutely. And then when you get inside of 10 feet, like let's say they have these five, six, seven footers, whether they're for par, bogey, whatever it is, and that's more of the alignment and face presentation. Are they pushing or pulling the putts too much or they're just not aligned properly? How are you addressing that? So let's take, for example, that you have someone who is a left aimer and they're pushing everything online. How can I do a better job to allow them to push it online more consistently? Or can I maybe change their setup position and get them to aim more at the hole because of how they're set up. So I'm going to be real exaggerated, but you know, someone's got some, their shoulders aiming, you know, four or five degrees left of target. That's where your path is going to want to go. Most people don't even realize they're doing that. Oh, guilty. That is what I figured out a few years <laughs> ago with the putter. It was almost a lesson, but yeah. And if you can show them that now, that's why I said, so such a great thing to do is a lot of people go, wait a minute, I didn't realize I'm aiming so far. Hold on a second. Let me let me try and change. And I said, well, let me get the, make the putter a little longer. Make the little putter a little shorter. Let me help you get into a better setup position. You know, they put them in that better setup position. And you go back on the SAM again. And all of a sudden, they went from aiming, you know, three inches left to aiming, you know, left edge of, of the hole. So you can really change that person's of what they did quickly. Yeah. Remember when you sent me to Golf and Body a few years ago in the city? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I forgot the, what was the instructor's name? I, I don't know. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was looking at my putting stroke and he's like, look at your shoulders. That was Ron. I'm like, I what think, do you mean? Yeah, yeah it was Ron. Yeah. I'm like, he's like, look at what you're doing. He like held the putter up and in place. He's like, look at where your shoulders are pointing. I'm like, oh my God. They were like several feet left of the target. Yeah. And that was probably the best 
instructional tip I've received in the last 10 years and it <laughs> very much changed my putting. It's <laughs> yeah. interesting. It can, it can certainly go that way. I've seen it go the other way as well. He watched me pull putt after yeah. putt after putt because he was putting pressure on me. He's like, look at what you're doing. Yeah. He's like, you're a pretty good player. He's like, I don't see you becoming a better putter if you continue with your shoulders this way. So yeah. that did work for me. In your case, yeah, where you're missing shots, uh, what Woody said earlier, sometimes you'll have a guy who aims left. They don't realize they're yeah. aiming left. To them, it feels like they're aiming straight. And then they consistently push it onto the target. And sometimes if you make them aim straighter, they will now feel like they're aimed right. Because they're so used to yep. aiming left that straight to them feels right. And then you can actually introduce more of a pull because they're so unconsciously think I'm going to miss this to the right. And they try and close the face down and you can actually create the very thing that you're not, you're trying to alleviate. So you just got to be careful. I'm sure Woody is. Well, this is under the pretense of that. I was a, yeah. I can tell you unequivocally, I was a crappy putter. I had nowhere <laughs> yeah. to go but up. <laughs> so I was open. To, I'm not open to suggestions in other parts of my game, but I was yeah. open to suggestions but, there. By the way, Adam, <laughs> you're, you're hundred percent correct. You can be you know, one of the things that you do is if you just change, that's what used to happen with us, right? The person was aiming left. We would choose something to try and get them to aim straight, but we didn't show them anything to do with their stroke. And when they go back, they become a worse putter, right? Because now they're aiming straight, they're pushing it. They're going to overcompensate. So you have to, it has to be something in their setup that they can feel and see to be comfortable with. And that's the problem yeah. why every part of fitting has to be a little different, right? Because some people you can go, look at this, let's try making the putter shorter, make it a little heavier and the handle, whatever it is to get them. And some people go, oh my gosh, now I really feel like I was aiming left. I, now I feel like I'm aiming straight and I stroke out much better. Someone else is going to go, I just feel like I'm aiming right like crazy. It's not going to help that person. And that's why there's no one absolute that you must do. I think it's one of the biggest takes I got from being in the, you know, the Scotty Cameron studio. He had, you know, all kinds of tech there. But at the end of the day, he liked to do his putter fittings with no tech because he wanted to let the artist kind of come out of it and, you know, let you figure out your own way. And sometimes the mechanical stuff can, can really throw you off because, again, there is no perfect way to putt, right? There's yeah. a lot of great ways to putt. I often talk about putting as a separate game within golf and Adam and I did an episode on it and pretty much I think both of us were just talking about how it's it's way more instinctual and I think athletic than other parts of the game because you can be so different and almost unorthodox and get away with it and be a very good putter as what you and Adam are saying is like you get these putters in there that are doing these very bizarre things according to Sam Putlab. I know there's averages on there for what like tour players are doing and then they still happen to be good putters. They're starting the ball on the line and controlling their speed well. So I've always found it to be like a bizarre game inside of golf. <laughs> I will tell you this. One of the things I really don't look at is those tour averages. I look for consistency, right? Because the tour average does this. I I'm not even so sure, you know, how many tour players whoever's creating that average but if you're consistent you can be a better putter if you're inconsistent it's harder to be a better putter. Now, again you can be as adam was saying before he had someone was really inconsistent you know and it was a great putter right by the way a lot of great putters will tell you okay i'm gonna hit this a foot left 
And then you watch behind them and they hit it a foot and a half left, right? So they're aimed a foot left. That's what they thought. But their, their stroke, they know, ah, that's not really enough. And they pull it on line. The next one, okay, it's a foot right. And they push it two feet right, right? Because they know that a foot is not enough. So good putters will do all that manipulating in the stroke. What you want to do for the average person is give them the best chance to be able to do that if that's what they're needing to do and not where they can't, you know, they can't push it to the right because the putter won't let them. And so they end up, you know, missing every one of those putts that those right to lefts on the low side because they can't get it out there. Yeah, that's why I separate the idea of conscious reads and unconscious reads because, like you said, someone can tell you, this is my conscious read, I'm going one foot right. But then you see every time they step into that right to left putt, they aim their feet more to the right, they push it up the slope, and Pelt's found this as well. But then you have the other end of that spectrum where, you know, Sasha was talking about how when he was measuring better putters, they were like doing a copy and paste stroke, basically. And if they aimed offline at address, they would pull it or push it offline. But I'd like to see more data, and perhaps that has already been done, but I'd like to see more data on more variable slopes. So set someone up and collect data when they're doing a left to writer. Then go ahead and do a right to lefter. Just switch it up all the time. Switch different strokes and different length of putts. And I think you'd see a little bit more variability in the, the stroke type in that regard. It'd be just interesting to see whether the better players have more variability, less variability, or whether there's some kind of nice balance in between. I think it might be really hard to find patterns there. I yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. I think you'd find, you go, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, anecdotally, I've played with enough players to see some of the best putters I've ever seen do not do things consistently. They'll aim on a left or right and just gently hit it down the slope and pull it a little bit. And, you know, you look at old video of Jack Nicholas, and I used to see him pull it up the left to righters and push it down the right to lefters as he's draining these 30 footers. So I, I know that's anecdotal. And, you know, I almost want to believe there's some magic in there. But yeah, it'd just be interesting when we collect more data other than just lab setting data, I think. Yeah. I think one of the big questions people have is what head style do I get? And then matching like the, is there truth to like the face balance versus toe hang suiting a certain putter path? Can we talk a little bit about, you know, how you arrive at a certain heads for player and, and how the path of their stroke plays into that or doesn't? The answer is it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's what I assumed you were <laughs> going to say matter. because that's always the answer in all the fittings is there's no rule of thumb. Because people, the reason I ask this is because, you know, people go on Google and they say, oh, I have a very, you know, into out putting path. And then it says, oh, get a face balance putter because you do this. So this is the type of information that people are getting. So I'd like you to expand on the nuance. It's about the into out, right? You can have into out or a more less, you can't go straight back, straight through. Oh, by the way, the closest I ever saw straight back through was Michael Breed. And it's amazing. He actually got, he, he would close his hands on the way back and then open his hands on the way through. And it really, it was really was straight back and straight through, but he was manipulating the putter. But I've never seen any, he's a great putter. I, I'd never seen anybody do that. Let's clear up that myth too, because I think I was under the impression for years that that was an option. And I was, so I was essentially manipulating the putter to do something that it wasn't designed to do. Every putting stroke has some type of an arc. It's just how much, correct? Correct. And by the way, so an arc to me 
is not really relevant to face balanced or toe hang because it's amount of face rotation, right? So you mm-hmm. could have very little face rotation, but have a very steep arc and you could have a very shallow arc and have a lot of face rotation. So give me an example of how you would fit someone into a face balance putter versus the toe hang. Is that the right term, toe hang? Am I using that properly? I think it's important for people to understand it. Obviously, I can do a visual, but you can't see it. But if I hold the putter and lay it, the shaft in my hand, and the face goes parallel to the ground, that's a face balance putter. If I hold it flat in my hand and the toe hangs all the way down towards the ground, that's a toe hang putter. And then there's various, let's call that nine degrees versus zero. And there's all different ranges throughout that. Simple kind of thing is that if you take that face balance putter and you turn it 90 degrees and you let it go, boom, it snaps back to want to go back to being where it was. If I take the toe hang putter, it's already hanging 90 degrees. It's not going to snap at all, right? And if you take a 45 degree toe hang, it'll snap back a little bit. That's all going to give you torques back into your hands. And the reason what I believe, and this is, I don't have, you know, maybe Sasha or someone has some great data on this, but what I believe it doesn't matter is that everyone's hands want to feel different kinds of torques. So someone wants that face to want to get back to being square, like a face balanced. And someone else wants to feel how the torque of, they have to manipulate the putter or they have to move it more to get that putter face square. That's someone who wants a toe hang putter. But I don't have data to tell you that this person should use a toe hang putter and this person should use a face balance putter because I've seen people with tons of face rotation, which you would go into those books and say, oh, I need a t- more toe hang. He's got a lot of face rotation or someone with not a lot of face rotation. I want a face balance putter and I've watched the exact opposite. But you're, I mean, obviously this is part of the fitting is that you're trying to accommodate the tendencies of the player the best you can. So what happens is that if you give the player a different kind of putter, it gives them a different feel. So if I, example, I've got a guy who is aiming left and he's constantly blocking the putter online and we then kind of help him to aim more square. And he's like, well, I feel this is great. This is lined up. Wow, it's great. And he had a very more of toe hangy putter. It might make that player a lot easier to square the face up because he's so used to blocking it to give him more of a face balance putter. Okay. Might. I have to test. Conversely, I could have someone that's used to aiming right and using a face balance putter. Maybe I want to give them something and I change their line. I've got to give them a little more toe hang to help them get that putter back to square. A lot of it is what you have always been doing and how your body reacts to how that putter moves. We are going to take a quick break there and we will be right back. When you're hiring for your small business like I have to, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And you can always support us by checking them out at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. 
LinkedIn is not just another job board. It is a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. I know a ton of people who are using it for multiple reasons, and LinkedIn has absolutely exploded over the last few years. There's wonderful content on business ideas, but more importantly, it gives you access to professionals that you can't find anywhere else. Anyone who runs a small business knows that hiring is easy when you can get that quality candidate. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate from LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that people like me and other small businesses like Adam or maybe you are wearing so many hats and you might not have the time or resources to hire. It's not like all of us can have our own HR department. That's why there are over 2.5 million small businesses using LinkedIn for hiring. If you want to give it a shot and post your job for free, go to linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So when you do, let's say you're, you're getting it right, what are you improving more? Their face angle presentation or impact location? Does it, does it help both usually? It's consistency. I'm trying to help consistency. And every player is different. Someone could be their path. Someone could be their line. Someone could be their dynamic loft and impact. Some could be their centered contact. It can be any of those things. There's no one thing that you have to say, well, this is the most important. And is it a case of just throwing a bunch of putters at them and seeing how they respond to it, looking at the consistency value? Well, I think it's a question of experience. And this is why I got back to why it's so important you do a lot of them. The more that you do, the more you go, well, like in any other fitting, right? We talk to the guy first. Interview is the most important thing. What do you do? What are you thinking about? What is what you're putting? Then you go in the back and you measure the person's putter and you see what they're using. And they come out and then you put them on the SAM and you see what they're doing. Okay. And you're from experience, you go, this should work. So you, maybe you change their setup. Maybe you change their face balance. Maybe you change the balance of the putter, adding more weight to the head, adding more weight under the grip, making the putter longer, shorter, and then see how they react with that you believe will work the best based on your experience. And then it doesn't. You say, okay, well, now I got to tweak that a little bit. And you move the other way. You don't want to have someone... Nobody is going to be able to try 10 different putters. You know, but the, the reasonable amount of time to have it. We've actually often talked about, can we make a putter fitting, you know, two and a half hours long? The cost gets extremely prohibitive and people's attention spans lose, but maybe that would be better. We're trying to find a compromise where we can help the person the most and, you know, get the average, an hour of time for the average person is a lot of time to keep their attention span and get results. So that's how we have come to do it. What else about the head? When we talked about face balance or toe hang, you know, the difference between having like a blade style putter, a mallet, the weight of it, like what else is being, what other variables are you trying to adjust with the head? And why would you give someone different styles of putter? So we've talked about for alignment, for example, some people love a big line and a big mallet to help them line up and their eyes pick that up and it allows them to aim perfectly. Other people don't want a line at all. They don't want to look at a line at all when they're lining up their putts. So they don't want a line. That is personal preference. There is a look, but left for better words, a sexiness of a putter, right? Oh, this putter looks tremendous. That is going to help you putt better. 
right? You look at it like, oh, this looks great. If you look down at a part, you're like, this is a branding iron. You know, it might be the best part in the world for you, but you can't use it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think putting is a lot about attitude. So with other clubs, I would say, you know, it doesn't make as big of a difference, but I, I have to believe is maybe some people think that theory is crazy. I kind of believe that because if you're in a bad state of mind, when you step up to a putt, that that really could affect yeah. your performance so much. And, you know, a lot of people do, let's face it, people, I mean, I'm sure you guys saw a lot of Scotty Camerons and there's like this putters have a certain prestige in terms of like, you know, designs are way more important than other clubs. Like there's exclusivity and stuff like that, certain models that come out. So yeah, that sounds like you don't go against that. So you're not trying to convince people not to do no, that. It sounds no. like. And, and by the way, so I love Scotty Cameron. I love Scotty Cameron putters. They are tremendous. They do things their way. One of, I saw one of the things, why can't I get a 36 inch Scotty Cameron putter? Scotty has his own beliefs in lengths and weights, and he doesn't want to change. For example, if you want a really heavy head on a 35 inch putter, he's going to add or subtract 10 grams per inch, right? So at 35 inches, he's going to say, hey, he has his head at, at 330. Then he's going to go to 340. Then I'll go to 350. But he's not going to give you 350 gram head at 35 inches. He feel that feels that that's out of balance. He is way more successful than I. So who am I to say that that's wrong? I've had a lot of success with giving people 350 gram putters at 35 inches. How important is weight? I think it's critical. I think, you know, you talk about feel, right? So when we talk about weight, there's a couple things we have to look at. What is the balance point? Or we didn't use swing weight for, you know, feeling more of the head, less of the head compared to what is the overall weight of the putter, right? So I can give you a putter that's very heavy like a heavy putter, heavy putter. And when I put it on the swing weight scale, it might say that it's, you know, D2 or D3, which is far from heavy. I give you a really light shafted putter with a ultra light grip and like the stand-up putter, for example. You know, the, the putters that stand up on their own, they use a very light grip. Swing weight's off a chart on that putter. So the head is very, very heavy feeling. These are things that people can feel. You can feel a difference in those two extreme putters. One is going to feel better than the other for you. I would say those things are extremes, right? So you're probably never going to go from one of those to another, but you can do things where someone says, well, the putter feels light and we know that the swing weight's pretty heavy. So we actually add weight under the grip of counterbalance. You might put 10, 20, 30, 50 grams underneath the handle. And they come back and they go, oh my gosh, this is so much better. Well, the head technically weighs less. You're feeling less of the weight of the head, but the overall weight of the putter has been increased. I've always felt anecdotally that getting, at least for me, the getting the weight right has helped so much with distance control. I've just not had a lot of success with bigger, heavier heads. And I've definitely preferred lighter putters for me that's helped me more with speed control i mean is there any consideration to when you're looking at like the length of someone's stroke or even the speed of the greens they're putting on is that factored into the weight at all theory and speed of greens again theory i've seen the exact opposite theory is the slower the greens the lighter the putter yeah right? you're assuming that heavier, heavier for, for, for the yeah, faster greens so you know i'm sure it doesn't work <laughs> interesting that's not where i would go instinctively yeah instinctively that's not where you'd go but 
the theory being that on the faster green, you're making a smaller stroke, so you need more weight to control it. On the, yeah. the slower green, you must make a bigger stroke. So if the putter is too heavy, it's really hard to get it to build up enough momentum to gain its speed. One of the things you have to ask someone is, how do you control your speed, right? So one person is trying to increase the length of their stroke, and the other person is trying to in increase the force in which they apply on the putter. Again, I don't tell you one way is wrong, one way is right. I need to know what you're doing and let me try and find something that will allow you to do that more successful. Yeah, I use a very pendulum-like stroke. I, I basically just change the length of the stroke and let the weight of the club do the work for me. And so that's why for me, I would like a lighter putter head when on faster greens, which kind of goes against what you said. But I could imagine if someone's using more force or less force, then it would reverse. Generally, I'm sure there are outliers to that as well. Right. And that's why it's an art, right? Putting is, is an art. But one of the things that people can feel this, if you took someone off the street who didn't play golf at all, and you handed them three different putters that were very distinctly different balanced putters, they could feel a difference. They might not know what they're feeling, but they would go, these three putters, and they might look all look the same. They would feel completely different. So a golfer can absolutely feel that. So we've got to find something that is going to enhance what you do. And, you know, Adam, you need a lighter putter for faster greens. That's what, if you take the rules and say, oh, no, we've got to go with a heavier putter, it doesn't work for Adam. We'll make him worse. Is there anything else significant in the head? Because I know people are always you know, like, do I buy the ping putter that's this style or the Cameron or you know, the Odyssey one? There's, there's just so many options now. And it's very hard for people to choose. I think they just defer to maybe, well, there's a number of reasons why they defer what they defer. That's a whole separate <laughs> topic. Is there anything else other than like MOI, weight? Like what else are you looking for in the head Again, design? if someone's, you know, having a real hard time finding the center of the putter, I want something where the, the center of gravity is further back off the face. A bigger mallet is what I want to try first. Maybe it won't work, right? But that's what I want to try first to see if I can help them a, find the center of that putter more, or B, when they are not finding it, control their speed much better. So would an example of that be like the tailor-made, the spider? Is that yeah, something I, like the spider, sure. You know, Odyssey 2-Ball, or now the 11, doing a great job with that. But it might not work. You've got to experiment. because. But when you move that center of gravity further back, you feel it. So you as a player will feel it, and you'll go, wait a minute, this feels really good, or this feels horrible. And you've got to try both ways, right? You got to try how are, do they manage it on the short putt and how do they manage it on the long putt? Yeah, I've tried those bigger ones and they feel, I mean, I'm, I'm putting with a small blade center shafted putter now. So me going to one of those massive heads, it would be, I wouldn't be able to look at it. And it would feel very strange to me. I had a really good story that I want to talk to about. So a client come in and this is a long time ago, but it's very relevant. And he was a good player and really struggling dramatically with his putting. So he had gone for a lesson and the pro wanted him to forward press. Said, we'll get you forward press. That will help a lot. And so I'm watching him putt and he's aiming the thing way left because he forward presses and the face opens wide. And his inconsistency was through the roof. He couldn't aim it in the same place. He couldn't, his face angles were all over the place. He wasn't finding the center of the putter. And so I started, I'm like, what are you doing here? Well, he wanted me to forward press. 
And I showed him how, you know, he'd aim way left and he'd forward press and then his stroke would be, and he's like, oh boy. And so I said, let's try without the forward press. And magically in a few strokes, he probably hit 10 times and we measured 10 strokes. And his consistency went from all over the place to spectacular. So why did he want him to forward press? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. All I can tell you is that's a perfect example of not being an instructor, but being a fitter and showing someone something and they're going, whoa, I can't do this consistently. This doesn't work consistently. And allowing them to be an artist and allowing them to find their own way, a little push here or there, but kind of allowing them. And what they would not have, if he didn't see that on the Sam, he couldn't comprehend it, right? When those numbers jump up in front of you, and if you're on a launch monitor and you're going, well, I'm, I'm launching it really low and I'm spinning it really high, you know that those numbers are bad, but it is not easy to change your swing to get those numbers to where you'd like them to be. And putting, you can change things much, much more dramatically on your own. And that's what we're trying to help you do that. And I, I see the results. I see, see the people, you know, still to this day, it's the last thing that people do. Come in, I don't, I'm gonna, and they come in and they go and they, they do a driver fitting, then they do a long game fitting, they do an iron fitting, they do a wedge fitting. They're like, I guess I should get my putter fit. And they come and get their putter fit. And then I'd see them, you know, a year later, they come in and get some grips on. And I say, hey, I'm just curious. Like, you know, what did that driver did for me was really good. But man, my putting is so much better. I'm like, but that's the one you did last. <laughs> you should do that first. But no one listens. <laughs> well, that that's why I would tell people like, you know, the several times I've worked with someone who knew what they were doing on putting. I got huge returns from each of those interactions because I I do think it's one part of the game, like you said, where you can make a really quick adjustment. If you went from doing something that was just totally not functional and having someone looking at and be like, hey, let's just get you doing this. Maybe it's a shoulder thing. Maybe it's a losing the forward press. You can make a very quick jump in this game, whereas in the full swing, that's much harder to do. Like, you know, uh, we talk about that all the time on the show, you know, changing patterns in the swing and how often you would have to repeat things and change the process in your brain could take months to, to make a new swing. But with putting, you could change your grip style. You could remove the forward press. You could, like me, it, it stop your shoulders pointing so far to the left. And then you're like, wow, that just totally opened up a new door for me. And it, And it's not so disruptive to your game on the course. It doesn't take that long to get used to. One analogy I like to use is if you give an expert rifleman a rifle and say, I want you to hit that target, they can hold it, uh, line it up with their eye and shoot at the target. And they can also shoot from the hip and hit the target. They don't need to have their eyes aiming down that sight line because they're so experienced. You get a beginner golfer and their eyes aren't lining down the sight line. So meaning, let's say, for example, I'm looking down, I, I see someone's eyes in there. The putter is, you know, four or five inches away. Doesn't mean they can't putt there. A very high percentage of the time, when you show them that and you show them where they are and you let them get in a position, maybe their putter is way too long, which a lot of putters are way too long. 
and they get their eyes over the ball and they start putting. They're like, oh my gosh, I feel I can, I can aim it now. I couldn't aim it before because they're beginner. Now, there's a lot of great putters that don't have their eyes over the ball, right? So that's, it's far from anything that is a must. But for a beginner, showing them that position doesn't mean they're going to, let's say, end up there. But showing them that position can sometimes open their eyes wide open to like, wow, wow, I actually feel I can aim this putter where I'm aiming as opposed to all over the place. Can we talk about length now? Because how important is length in the fitting process? I mean, I think posture is tremendously important in the fitting process, right? You have to let someone get in, be able to get into a posture where they can do it repeatedly. They're not going to doing it one way and then another way. It's, it's consistency. We've all been talking about, right? It's consistency of how I'm, I'm going to putt. And, you know, the average person goes and buys a, you know, why is the average putter 35 inches? So the head cover doesn't fall off out of the average bag because it's less than that. It's resting on the, on the head cover and the head cover can fall off. Well, that's not the right reason to get a 35 inch putter. Is that really the reason? Yeah. I think mine is like 29 <laughs> inches or something. I was heavily influenced what? by the pelts stuff. 29? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like Whoa. Mickelson length because I was influenced by the pelt stuff early on. So I just like cut this down as much as, as you can. And I'm short. I'm a short <laughs> ass anyway. So for me, it looks okay. <laughs> so if you remember, Mickelson used to have this big forward press in his putter, right? And so when he went to Scotty Cameron's, Scotty's Cameron, like, well, you, you've got this big forward press. We've got to add a lot more loft to your putter so it's going to roll better. And he's like, yeah, it does roll better. But then he realized, wait a minute, that's adding a variability to my putting. And he's got a lot less of a forward press and he's using a lot less loft now. Now, that's obviously doing a lot of trial and error. But when he went to, you know, Scotty and the thing was hopping all over the place, he was having a very hard time controlling his distance. And all of a sudden, Scotty puts more loft on it and it's, he's able to control his distance a little better for him. He realized I'm, I'm doing adding a motion maybe I shouldn't add. He's still, he's still forward pressed a little bit, but not like he, if you go back 20 years ago and watch how he, much he forward pressed, wow, it was a ton. That was one of the reasons I bought into the whole Seymour thing is because I was forward pressing, but it was so inconsistent. And then that's not their philosophy. It's everything is neutral. So, you know, when I set up with that putter and I get it in the rightful scope and look, I know that I'm set up in a neutral way, the same way every time and aligned close enough. Right. That's been helpful for me. I don't think Seymour's are for everyone, but it did. Their whole philosophy is removing variables. And that's what I was yeah. looking for because I'm like, I'm just introducing way too many variables. And I think that's why I'm not a great putter. I'm just haphazardly <laughs> changing things all the time, which I know a lot of golfers are because <laughs> they're just searching. You're searching and you're searching and you're searching. To get back to length, I think length is super important. And many times your person is just setting up with one of my old tricks I used to love to, I had adjustable length putter and I would put it down. I said to the person, all right, just set up where you feel comfortable. Just set up where you feel comfortable. Let me, let me tighten it up. Then make a few strokes. Does that feel comfortable? Oh, this feels great. Okay. Then put it next to their putter. Like, why is this three inches shorter than my putter? They go hit their putter and they go back and hit that, that adjustable putter that was now much shorter. And wow, this is way, all right. Now let's go get a real putter that's at that length and see what happens. And you'd find people like, oh my gosh, I feel much more comfortable and I feel more repeatable in this position. But there's not a lot of 33, 
Not a lot of 32, 31-inch. You're not going to go into the PJ Superstore and find a 29-inch putter. I don't think so. No, right? mine was custom cut down, yeah. You know, but Adam, that's what you need, and that's what you have to look at somebody. But if you don't have the ability to try something like that, you'll never put someone into that length putter. So do you find that, so if 35 inches standard fitting people into shorter ones a lot of the time? Wait, let's talk about standard. So, Well, yeah, I know the word standard is a dirty word in the golf industry. This is really important, guys. Go buy a 34-inch putter from five manufacturers that all say it's 34 inches and go put them up next to each other. And I promise you they're not all the same length. They all say 34 inches. Shocking. They are not <laughs> the same length. They're all measuring. I can't figure out how some of them are measuring, actually. We had <laughs> one company were like, how we measured it every known way that we could measure a putter, and we could not get it to measure the length that they said it was. So who has the longest 34-inch putter on the market? <laughs> Woody doesn't you'll never hear Woody talk a bad word about anyone you're not going to bait him that's right I'm not going to but because it, it, they all make great putters it's a question of is it great for you or not now in terms of moment of inertia but I know we've talked about moment of inertia or resistance to twisting around the head so you know if you hit toe or heel does it twist open or closed but there's also a moment of inertia from kind of the grip to the head right so you know if you if you get a player who's very handsy and you increase the moment of inertia from grip to head then it'll be harder for them or require more torque more force you know they're going to actively have to apply more energy to increase that twisting i remember I can't remember the exact putter, but it was when TaylorMade brought it out it was it was a longer putter and it had a really heavy grip and a really heavy head. And when I was trying it, I was like, wow, this is incredible. I can't flick my hands with this. It's like, it was almost like it was impossible. It was go- trying to defy the physics of it. Are those putters still available? Was that the spider by any chance? Am I just mm. imagining? It was about 10 years ago, maybe. Tailor-made, definitely. They've changed them a lot. But that moment of inertia from grip to head is way more important than any other moment of inertia of the putter. Yeah. The thing I think about moment of inertia is that, you know, compared to like a driver, for example, you're swinging a driver at 90, 100, 110 miles an hour where the putter is not that, (laughs) was it a few miles an hour? So there's no gear effect. Like it's not like how maybe you can explain to me and, and maybe people have the same question. Like if it's not that violent of an interaction between the golf ball and the head, how important could moment of inertia be? We're talking grip to head you're talking about one. so on the head is it not that significant on the head then could be completely irrelevant on the head completely okay. irrelevant. that's what i'm thinking of is okay. on the head because you know yeah. i'm thinking of a driver you know you, you tow it and the thing's twisting no, open and happening. you're getting a hook not happening that stuff is not happening nearly to a, to the degree that it's happening on a driver so the reality is that that moment of inertia head wise can make zero difference it will make okay. a big difference in feel though Yes. Okay, because okay. I will feel that, that sense. where that moment of inertia is. But again, the grip to head, that moment of inertia is the, the balance of a putter. So like I said to you, I can give you give let's let's say we have three putters, okay? Assume that all three of them have the same overall weight. One of them has a super light grip and a very heavy head. One has a 
standard weight grip and a standard weight head, neutral. And the other one has a really, has a lot of weight, maybe there's a 50 gram plug under the grip and a really light head. All three of those have three totally different motor inertia feels and are gonna cause you to do different things. Can I give a little analogy for the people listening? So if you were to imagine holding a very light alignment stick with one hand and trying to whip it, it would be very easy to do that. That would be a low moment of inertia. It's very easy to twist the shaft around. Whereas if you had a heavy iron bar that was incredibly long and you try and do that with one hand, you might not be able to do it. So that would be a much higher moment of inertia. So you can obviously, you can change where the weight is placed on the putter and how much weight is in there to increase or decrease that feeling essentially, right? Yes. That's why I love talking to you guys. That's, that's a great analogy. Honestly, that cleared it up for me because I kept hearing MOI on putters. I'm like, what is, like, what is MOI even? Because I'm thinking of the head. I'm like, why would that even matter? <laughs> <laughs> now you cleared it up for me. So I learned something. That's why you guys are the best. Or something. Well, you, you could say that that would lead to um, or could lead to more consistency with you, you're talking earlier about loft presentation. So if you see someone who's really handsy and maybe they're presenting a lot of loft on one swing and then not so much on the next and that's changing how fast that ball is coming out and the spin rates that ball's coming out with, which is then going to have a, a negative effect on outcome distance dispersion. If you give them a higher moment of inertia in the way that we just talked, head to, head to shaft or head to grip, that could reduce their ability to be handsy, right? Yes. And, and yes. increased outcome dispersion. So I suppose it would just be a tool if you see that specific fault in someone with the caveat that everybody responds differently, obviously. Right. That's why it's marrying the science with the art. And putting is way more art than anything else. So we have to be very careful. But we, you get that person like, Whoa, let, me, let me give them, let me go put a 50 gram counterbalance weight under this grip here and see what happens. And if they respond by being more consistent, now we've got a home run. Do we want to talk about grips? Because, you know, over the last five or 10 years, uh, maybe you could say super stroke was responsible for this. The, the original what was it the flatso, the, the 5.0 one I, that helped me, but now we have like 500 grips to choose from in you know, thickness, how you hold the putter. I've found a lot of success changing grips. Like how, how important is that during your fitting? Like trying to match like the proper grip because there's just, there's so many of them now. It's quite confusing. <laughs> I'm sure that didn't make it any easier for you guys. You know, grip is something that I feel is personal preference. I don't abide to the theory of I want to use my hands less. So let me put a bigger grip on the putter. Yeah. I think right? that's what most people assume would be the case. Right. It doesn't mean it doesn't work for some, but if you're using your hands a lot, chances are using your hands a lot. And if you're not using your hands a lot, chances are you're not using your hands a lot and changing one grip to the other. Now, I do believe that Ping actually did a little study on that, and it did show that there was some effect to a little smaller, type, like a smaller type pistol grip versus a much more oversized grip that there, there was more rotation, I believe. But again... In fittings, I got to get something that someone feels comfortable with. Now, if someone's got really small hands and you put them in some giant grip, they might not have any feel to it whatsoever. I think the biggest thing that we have seen over the years is that people want, oh, I'm going to take my hands out. I'm going to put this monster 
grip on there and they come back and they go, I can't control the speed. And so I, I think I'm making a better stroke, but I can't control well, because they lost the feel in their hands because it went into their palms. Yeah, I certainly feel that, yeah. Yeah, the opposite worked for me. I went to one of those, the biggest super stroke one possible a long time ago. I, I was pretty much yipping longer putts for a while. <laughs> it was just something would happen in my hands and I I just changed to that enormous grip and it actually helped me for a while. You know, maybe it was just the psychological change. Who knows? But that's that's why like, you know, with putting, you, you can't make those big changes. But yeah, now I'm back to like a more, what do I have a rose mark now, which is a hexagonal shape, but it's a, a thinner grip and I, I use a pencil style grip and that works for me now. But yeah, I just, I can't imagine there's one right answer to satisfy because, you know, people, again, people go on websites and they read stuff and they say, oh, you know, get the bigger grip to take your hands out of it. And it sounds like that doesn't necessarily work. I don't think it works. I think if some, if you look at like, you know, some of the best putters that they Jordan Speed didn't change his grip for years on his putter, right? It got destroyed. He was a paranoid to change it. I think there's one guy, I think it's a Hudson Swaffer is the name. His grip is literally falling off his putter. It's the same one he's had since college, like falling apart. Like when you look at this thing, it's a joke, but it works for him. Right. You just never know. But that said, so let's say that you're putting badly. I want to change something. Even though it was a different texture, can change you emotionally. And I think that's one thing yeah. about putting that people, you know, I'm in a bad way in putting. So let's go change the grip and change it. Maybe we're not going to change the size, but we're going to change to a different texture and you're going to, it's going to feel different and you're going to feel like I've got something different and that can make you start making more putts. I don't have any scientific data, but I know that when you're going bad, sometimes with your putting, changing something could be that, you know, that, that putter goes in the trunk for a little while and you go back to something else and that just changed your feeling. You go back to the one in the trunk, you start making everything. Well, the placebo effect is very real. Yeah. I think for putting, it really is like, I would never like when people, I know people show up to the course with different shafts and their driver and different, you know, they're, they're always tinkering. I'm like, just stop doing that. Cause that's not going to help anything. But I do believe there is something to that with putting. Cause I've gone through it myself where if things are not going well, and putting is so difficult that, you know, if you're just three putting a lot, like you have, you have no place to go but up. You know, you have a lot more to lose with your full swing than you do on the putting greens, I believe. Yes. I will tell you this, though. I do think that when you're, if you're doing that. Not, not to an extreme, right. though. I don't want you changing putters every week. Right. But <laughs> if you can, try to stick to the same length so you're in the same setup position. So if you're trying four different putters and you got a 33, a 34, and a 35, and you're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You're changing your setup position all over the place, and that can lead to more problems, I think, than if you're trying three putters that are all the same length, and you've you know put one in the trunk, you take another one out and use it for two weeks. Yeah, and I don't want to, <laughs> I'm just like thinking in my head how people react to this, because I know some people, you know this player, Woody, I'm not going to mention him by name, he's a great player. Not a great putter, though. And he's got 10 different putters that he cycles through, <laughs> just constantly changing. And I'm like, that extreme, I, I don't think I advocate either. I'm the poster boy for the exact opposite. I've got one of the original two balls. I have never putted well with it, and I still have it. <laughs> and the reason why is I just, 
I can stand there on a mat and I can roll these balls over and over into the hole. So I don't think there's any anything wrong with how it fits my stroke. I've got good speed control with it as well. But, you know, when I'm on the course, all my misses are just misreads. You know, I'll underread it or overread it because I don't play that much anymore. So I've held on to it. I call it old trusty, but it's been a, a the bane of my golfing existence, really. I think I sent <laughs> you my strokes gain the other day and I was like plus three for approach and plus five for driving and like 20 handicap for putting or something. Maybe not that bad, but you know, you get the picture. I'll tell you from my own history, back in the day, I had one of the first Scotty Cameron trillion, trillion putters and I loved the feel of that putter. And I've since moved on to a, like a little mallet. I like a little bit bigger head. And a couple of years ago, came with this trillium was a little mallet. I'm like, oh, this, um, give me that. I got it. I set it up. Uh, it felt spectacular. It has a lot more toe hang than I'm now currently used to using. Every time I've taken that out to the golf course, I can't make a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it looks amazing to me. It feels even better. and I just can't make a thing with it. But I'm not letting go of it because I love it. <laughs> yeah, there's so many things to this game. Like you say, you can, you can even... You could be confident with a putter and it just doesn't work for you. Like, I'm confident with my putter. I, I don't stand over it thinking I'm going to miss something. I just, you know, I'll just misread it a little bit. And I think that's important for people to keep track of why you're missing putts because that, that'll help you in the fitting as well. You know, are you, after you hit a putt, I always ask, ask myself, right, did I roll it the wrong speed? So on a lag putt, that's obvious. But even on a short putt, sometimes you can pick the right line. You just blast it through the break. Or you hit it, you die it a little bit more than you were intending to, and it drops on the low side. So understanding, was it a speed issue? Did you hit a putt that felt great and it just didn't take the break that you thought it would? So that's a read issue. Or, you know, did you set up to everything right and you just... you felt like you pulled it and it went left so that's more of a stroke or a start line issue and i think if you can go to your fitter and say which one of those errors is popping up more often then that's going to greatly help the the process of finding the right putter for you that fixes those problems you know adam it's very interesting i think that use one of the things like aim right so i talk to someone i'm like i'm really good from 10 feet but I, i'm really not so good from from three feet and so we see they have an aim problem and you know, they got to manipulate the putter a lot more on that smaller stroke. And sometimes people go, no, 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 I'm, I'm really good from, from the shorter putt. I'm not, I'm fine with the shorter putt, but you see that same problem and you talk to them and you're like, you're really short. And I'm like, well, sometimes they come back in the store a couple weeks later and they go, you know, I thought about this in my last couple of rounds and I realized, man, I realize I'm really struggling with those short putts. Aha. This is why keeping data is important. Yeah, right. Keeping strokes gained and it breaks it down for you right into distances, three to five feet, five to 10 feet. Yeah. I mean, if you, ha you have that information, I had a client come in the other day for a wedge and an iron fitting and he had all his strokes gain stuff. It was great. I'm like, oh man, you're a seven handicap and you can't hit a green with a seven iron. We got to figure this out. Is it you? Or is it a club? And I think it was tremendously mounted the amount of clubs we'll, we'll see when he comes back because he's a data-driven guy. It made that fitting go, you know, so much easier for me because he had all this, this great data that I was able to look at to help him. One thing I, I'd love to add to temper people's expectations because I think 
you know, if you do get a putter finger, you get a new putter, the assumption is that a lot of times you step on the greens thinking you've got Excalibur in your in your bag and you're just expecting to make everything and you're setting yourself up for disappointment. <laughs> yes. And of course, if you see someone like, you know, you go to Pete's Golf and you work with people who know what they're doing, like that's not going to happen. That That's not what a good putter fitting looks like. So I, I want to caution people and you can definitely go back to, we did a great episode with Lou Stagner where he dove into some stats with putting make rates from various distances but most people judge putting in a binary way did i make it or i miss it and then you know if you missed it you're like oh god this is disgust there but yeah for the average player once you get outside of five or six feet like you're missing most of your putts like more than 50 percent of them and it's not a game of how many can you make it's it's really i think both with wedge play and putting it's how can you not shoot yourself in the foot all the time? How can you not leave yourself a seven footer for par or bogey when you've got that 35 footer? And yes, I think you can aspire to make more six, seven, eight footers. I've definitely made more of them over the last three or four years as I've gotten better. But there is a limitation. You know, putting's difficult. The, the greens are imperfect. I think Sasho had some really interesting data on green imperfections. I know Dave Peltz has done studies on that once you get outside of 10 feet. There's an estimate that just you can't make so many putts just because of the green imperfections or you're, you're putting on a, a living surface. So it, it's just it's a really hard part of the game to wrap your head around what success looks like. I think for most people, it's avoiding three putts as much as possible, not eliminating them. And then, yeah, making a few more putts inside of 10 feet based on how poorly you were performing in the first place. Maybe it wasn't all that bad to begin with. This is why strokes gain data is so important to keep because that example that you gave John of someone who's 35 feet away rolling it to seven feet they'll probably stand there if they're three putting and blame their seven footers all day whereas the reality is yeah. they probably lost more strokes yeah. on the on the long putt they should be getting it much closer than that and so yeah guys your practice and guys what you give the putter fitter as well well that's why I think I for so long placed way too much importance on putting because that's the part of the game where you're solidifying your score so if you make a double bogey, like you know, you're like maybe blaming it on the putter, but even going further back than that, well, maybe it was the tee shot's fault. Maybe it was the approach shot's fault. But yeah, it, this is literally a game of proximity. And the closer you can keep it to the hole on each attempt, the better your score is going to be in the long run. And that plays out way more on the putting green or quite a bit on the putting green compared to the rest of the game. Well, I loved that with Lou. I thought, I, you know, I, I know a lot of stuff, but when you just listen to him and him actually spit out and give you great stats, like this is what the best players in the world are doing. What do you think you're doing at a scratch handicap level? You're not doing that. So <laughs> your expectations, and I think that's... And they're not even that good because we're watching on TV... Oh, watch what you're saying, John. I wrote a blog called The Pros Are Not That Good. And every time I repost it, I get absolutely <laughs> slated <laughs> unless people actually read at the inside and it's all about stats. I've gone down this as well. And yeah, people resist it. But the truth is what we watch on TV is, is generally, especially with putting, you know, there's at any given time during a tournament, there's, you know, 40, 50, 60 players attempting putts within minutes of each other. And of course, if someone made a 35 footer, they're going to show you that. But I think this, uh, Lou tweeted this out the other day, like they're only making 35 footers like once every few rounds at most. Like it's, it's just not, it's not a normal occurrence. I would say this, John, in my humble opinion, and I, you could prove me wrong if I'm wrong, but if you went out for a round at your home course with the worst putter on the PGA tour, 
who was on the PGA Tour. And you came back, you go, man, that guy's amazing putter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but he's the worst on no, the no. tour. But when you played with him, he's amazing. Yeah. Any, anyone who's on the tour, the, the worst, you know, I was getting a Victor Hovland's wedge play because it was frustrating me. But if I played around with him, I'd be like, oh, my God, I wish I could wedge it like that. They're world class at everything. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that putting is so hard for everyone that it's just not reasonable to, you know, if you're getting the right putter fit and all that, like you're not going to be draining a bunch of 15 footers. Like it just does not work that way. It's yep. the case of when we play with amateurs, we we see them get really upset when they miss a 10 footer and they'll miss two in a row. And you, you they're like, see, that's two shots gone. They say, well, not really. <laughs> yeah. Cause they probably, they had less than a, I don't know what the make rate for a 15 handicap. It's definitely less than 20% from that distance, maybe somewhere around there. It's hard to make putts, but I don't want, I don't want to discourage people either. At the same time, we just want you to be reasonable with what you can expect from a better putting experience. There's one more thing I want to talk about in putting, and that's the shaft. It gets overlooked. Yeah. I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. With <laughs> and a lot of it is feel. We're actually doing it. Check back with me in six months when I have a little more data on this, like the stability shaft. Is this that LA Shaft company? Yeah, it's, I, it's LA Shaft. That? It's not LA Shaft. This is Barney Adams' company called Stability okay. Shaft. But okay. they're all trying to do the same thing. They're trying to have you control your distance better on long on long putts. I will tell you, when it first came out, I'm like, that can't possibly help. It can't possibly work. And we didn't really test it, and then someone got us a month or two ago to to you know, someone said they wanted it, and we were fooling, we got one, we we're fooling around with it, like, hmm. I wonder how if this really might work. What's the theory behind it? The theory being it's more stable. So on the long putts, it's going to transfer the energy more consistently back into the putter and you'll control your speed better. That's the theory. You know, they have some proof that says it works. Again, my mindset says it doesn't work. You know, when you are hitting a bigger putt and you're not hitting the center of the club face as often, is it? twisting less again my gut says it doesn't work but i've seen enough to know that maybe it does work and we're going to do a pretty you know big test on it and see what we can what we can figure out my gut says no <laughs> i mean i'm just thinking how how much stability could you put in a putter i mean looking at one mile an hour of club speed what does that equate to in uh, maybe three feet or so i mean and one mile an hour i think would be a big a big change in shaft technology, right? Listen, I totally agree with you, but I also know that I've been wrong before. And, you know, unless you, you know, I always tell people that I'm trying to be the best that I can be at my craft. And I believe that means constantly experimenting, constantly trying different ideas that you hear, talking to different people about their theories of, of fitting so that I can get better at my craft. To me, anybody, whoever it is, if they tell you they're the best at what they do and that they're, they're not the best. You know, I often talk about how my, you know, my wife is a heart transplant recipient. She's going to celebrate 10 years of her heart transplant. And you talk to these tremendous transplant cardiologists and they are constantly going to seminars to see what other transplant cardiologists around the world are doing. And I've had some amazing ones say, you know, I, I went to this, we're talking to them and they're like, well, you know, they're doing this with this drug over there. And we, I would never dream of doing that. I've got to look at it a different way. Now their experience says it doesn't work. Right. But their 
experience also says that they could be wrong. And so they have to relook at something and see if they're doing it the best way or not. It's what I try and do in, in all my fitting. I don't believe this is going to work. Okay, but shouldn't I go test it again and maybe I'm wrong? I think it's a decent life philosophy, really. I mean, just always questioning if you have a solid belief that you think is, you know, just rock solid. I think questioning yourself, trying to look at the alternative side of it is something something that I try to do in all areas of my life. But yeah, with this one, I'd want to see a double blind placebo <laughs> controlled study before I, I really... <laughs> Say say whether it's good or not, because you know placebo is a is a bigger effect, right? I mean, oh, yeah. I used to do it with little kids. I would give them a putter and say, you know what, kid, this used to be Tiger Woods's putter, and you know what, they would putt better with it, <laughs> believing yes. it used to be Tiger Woods's. <laughs> or you know, we used to go out and sprinkle some magic dust on the putter head, and they'd start rock rolling them in. It's crazy what what the mind. Oh, can I do. believe it. I, I really believe you can through your attitude, you can manifest better performance on the putting green than elsewhere golf absolutely i really believe there's a lot of attitude going on because there's just you see them you see some people and they the great go i've been around some really good putters and like they've just got this swagger about it you're like they believe it you know there's something going on there that they've got that i want well there's some science (laughs) behind it i mean if someone is confident for whatever reason say they've hold a putt early on the very next putt that they stand over, they're going to be thinking different. Their their attention is going to be different. Maybe they're going to be visualizing this next one going in, which we know is an external focus, which there's lots of science to support that that can help increase your putting performance. So, you know, I think confidence or, or words like that are usually branded as kind of airy fairy or not really tangible but there's there's enough science behind the the focus of attention or locus of attention and how that affects performance and so yeah these placebos are probably working on that level on what your brain is is absorbing and you know i i use the analogy of when say i learn about a new car or something i'm useless with cars but say my wife is looking at a car and they say oh yeah i really like this like she wants a maserati and i'm like what's a maserati and then next next week what is it i'm out on the <laughs> road and i see out. them everywhere <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> she wants a, a rundown secondhand one is <laughs> but you know the next week i'm seeing maseratis everywhere i go and you know it's called the reticular activating system how our brain filters in and out different information those maseratis were always around me I just didn't I wasn't aware of them and it's similar to you know if you stand over a pad and you do feel confident you do believe you can hold this next one your brain is going to absorb more information about that line the break the speed and so there's there's probably a real good bunch of science behind why these oh I'm totally starting to believe all that (laughs) I really am if you look at any medical study where they're trying drugs Right. So that it's double blind study where group A is getting the drug and group B, B is getting a placebo. Yeah. There is a percentage. I don't know what the exact but there's a percentage of people that group B that all their numbers that they things they measured got better yep, and they got yeah. a placebo. I saw it with uh, antidepressant drugs where, you know, they said, well, the uh, control group the and versus the drug group the drug group improved by 60 percent and then you dive into the data and the placebo improved by 50 (laughs) percent you think geez that that was just a sugar (laughs) pill so yeah it's really interesting apparently injectable placebos are even better for you (laughs) i've certainly with putting i would say this past year 
for the first time in, in, in tournament pressure, I f- got into some type of trance or groove where I was like, I'm going to make these putts. And they were going in and I'm like, oh my God, this is possible. Like this actually like can happen to people. So I'm, I'm probably taking me a lot of horrible failures to even experience that a few times, but I finally did in a few tournaments and it was like, oh man, like I've been playing golf for 25 years and never felt that. So I've heard people describe it and maybe I can hopefully get back there. But like it, I do believe, yeah, there, there's this uh, somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy to it. Certainly can't overcome poor skill and, you know, lack of practice and all that other stuff. But, you know, if you're working on it all together, you almost have to believe it at the same time. Because I know a lot of great players who have convinced themselves they're crappy putters and they'll just continue to be a crappy putter. So other than that potentially magical shaft, <laughs> is shaft not all that important? Or are you just looking to get the length of it right? Like would a manufacturer change anything from shaft to shaft or it's just the same steel shaft? It will change the feel, but I've yet to come across one that I have practically seen makes results, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to change. However, it doesn't mean it doesn't affect, maybe affect the feel dramatically, which should really help you. So something like the the stroke lab where there's you know that's claiming stability also again i'm not so sure about that but it does change that moment of inertia and that can dramatically affect how someone puts good and bad obviously so we've talked about a lot is there anything else that we haven't covered that you wanted to get out i think we covered most of the the questions we had on twitter for the most part so the only thing that we really didn't cover was like you know the the Scotty Karen putter, that milled putter. Why is a milled putter better? In theory, it's got less variables when it's made, right? So a cast putter, back in the day, you know, the guys would take the original pink putters and they say, well, the face is not uniform. So we'll let's mill, let's mill the face. We know we can make the, the face more more consistent. P.S., by the way, those non-milled pink putter faces have won a lot of tournaments. A lot of tournaments. So how much is it really relevant? Is it worth the extra 200 bucks or whatever well, it but is? it could be an emotional thing. Practically, yeah. you know that if you take a milled putter, there's no variables in the thickness of the face. There's no air pockets anywhere in the thickness of the face. So it's a higher quality build. So a Scotty Cameron putter is a higher quality build than maybe someone else's putter. So does that make it better? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, but you know what? People take pride in their putters. They collect oh, them. Yeah. Like I, to- I totally get why someone would want to buy like the limited edition milled thing. Like it's, you know, there's all these subsections of golf and and little niches of niches, and and a lot of people just love putters and they love collecting. Them. Yep. And I think that's cool if you're into that. If you want to buy the milled putter, go for it. Exactly. Without running into a four hour episode, did we talk about loft? Yeah, I was actually that was in the back of my head too. Like, would you change the loft on someone's putter? I'd like to see, again, faster greens, degree and a half, maybe two degrees most, dynamic loft at impact. I, the slower the green, maybe a little bit more loft. So the answer is yes. However, when you start changing loft on a putter, you change how it looks dramatically. Mm, yeah. And mm. I do not like doing that. So back when I was doing putter fittings, we knew what every loft of every putter was. So I have, for example, I had a Bobby Grace putter that had zero degrees loft. And then I would have other putter that had five degrees loft. And I get someone, okay, I think, you know, they're adding a lot of loft. Let's get a 
If you took a putter and bent it, it looked horrible. But if it was made that way, it looked great and you'd get it to roll better. I think in our more advanced age day, days, you can show someone that they're de-lofting the putter or that they're adding loft to the putter and it's something that they go, oh, wait a minute, let me try this. And all of a sudden, boom, it changes. Does that feel comfortable? Well, it feels a lot more comfortable. What? I'm making more putts. So it's more of positioning now, I think, than it is changing loft on putter. However, that doesn't mean you don't get someone that cannot get in the position where your standard loft of a putter, let's say, is three degrees, where you can't get it to work and you need to have less or more loft. If someone's got that big forward press, chances are they're going to need more loft. It goes back to the days, you know, with the Quintech, when we were measuring the Quintech and before that, the Swing Dynamics, we were measuring a ball roll. But by the way, I love the Quintech. I love the information. It's just not practical to use in an hour putter fitting. It just t- t- takes way too long to calibrate and, and use. And I'd love that data. Like we said, we're experimenting now with the with the foresight now on that stuff. But, you know, loft is important. But if I say to you, you know, with your driver, right, that you're presenting way too much loft, you can't make that change. Yeah, if you do, you'll probably hit it sideways. So let me get you, give you a lower lofted or a higher lofted driver. With a putter, you can very much easily change how you present it. And therefore, what do we want to do? Do we want to change the loft of the putter or change how the person's setup is? And depending on the person, you can do one or the other. Cool. I think we've covered it all, right? Yeah. Any closing statements, buddy? Listen, if you're going to go and you're going to get fit for golf clubs, go do the putter first. Don't do it last. Do it first. It's, I think, where you can, you'll see the biggest difference and probably it'll motivate you. Wait a minute, let me go get the rest of my clubs checked to, to make sure they're all working properly for me. Yeah, I would, as someone who I haven't really gotten any help from my swing in a professional in over a decade, but in the last five or six years, I've had three interactions with people who knew what they were doing with putting. And all three of those interactions helped me tremendously for different reasons. So yeah, I think there's some quick wins available for people with putting, even if it's, you know, you said you don't necessarily get people on new putters all the time, and sometimes it's helping them with what they've got or making small tweaks to their existing putter. There's some low hanging fruit slash quick wins probably waiting for a lot of people. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And as someone who's never had a putter fitting and has never really putted really well, it's always been the bane of my putt, my golfing existence. I recommend having a putter fitting as well. <laughs> I may do one myself. All right, Woody, where can everyone find you? You can find me at uh, Pete'sGolf.com. Pete's Golf is located in Mineola, New York. Got any questions, you can always re- reach me via email. It's pretty simple. It's Woody, W-O-O-D-Y, at Pete'sGolf.com. You are so nice giving out your email address to all these people. What are they going to do? <laughs> Not email What are they going to do? You should see our, our email. <laughs> oh, yeah. You should. I haven't told you about the email I got the other day, Adam. I'll tell you. I'm not going to say it on, on the air. <laughs> I got a real doozy the other day. But that's very kind of you, Woody. We appreciate it. Woody has helped out so many people who are not geographically able to visit him and i know he's still giving them advice you know people living in different parts of the united states or even around the world so thank you so much for doing that definitely if you can 
go to Pete's Golf if you're traveling through New York. And we know some people who've listened to the show have made special trips to see them. They are amongst the best. So, yeah, what do we we got to do? Now we have to do fairway woods, hybrids, and maybe driving irons. Is that yeah. a separate episode in one? We got to do that. So Tea fitting. You're not done with us yet. Yeah, we've got your semi-regular guest. So we will we'll certainly have you on again soon. I love the Twitter questions. So maybe we could, we'll, one time we'll just open it up to any fitting questions they have and we'll just go from one topic to another. That sounds a good one, yeah. Yeah, we have really engaged, wonderful followers on Twitter and elsewhere who do ask great questions. So yeah, if you do have questions for us to to address with Woody in episodes, you can go through Twitter, go to Adam's site, go to my site, and you can contact us through there. Uh, so we really appreciate that. So Adam, where can they find you? Yeah, thanks to everybody following. And I know we sometimes make fun of the bad emails that we get and things, but no, we really do appreciate all the oh, no, positive it's comments. Ninety nine point nine percent of the emails I get every day are. It's amazing. I show my wife. I feel like I'm. It's almost a few times a day. I'm like, look at this message someone just <laughs> sent me. Like, it's really incredible. We 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 couldn't be happier with the response we've gotten. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then selfishly, if you want to learn more about my philosophies, I actually have some stuff on putting my next level golf. I'm not a, a putting expert, but I give my opinion on a lot of things and more instinctive drills. It'll definitely be if you if you have uh, information from other putting coaches, this will just be an addition to it that should complement it. So that's in my next level golf program at adamyounggolf.com. And John, where can people find you? You can find me at practical-golf.com and hopefully I will have my book out sometime. Every week <laughs> you say that. I do, I do talk about putting in my book, so hopefully it'll be available for purchase soon. Both. And again, I just want to thank our show sponsor, The Indoor Golf Shop. You can find all of your indoor golf needs at their website, shopindoorgolf.com. They're the experts when it comes to the best indoor golf simulators for your home, your business. You can call them up, talk to their guys, Brian or Wade, who can help you find the best launch monitor, whether it's a high-end one like Foresight, or you want to get maybe one of the entry-level ones like the newer Garmin or the SkyTrack or FlightScope models, they can help you with whatever budget you have and whatever size of your space is. So thanks again for their support, and you can find them at shopindoorgolf.com. Thanks again to our listeners for all the great questions and feedback. We will see you again soon with a new episode.